Well, New Covenant, it is my joy to be with you this morning. I am thankful to have this, this privilege to worship with you today. Uh, I have been enriched already uh, by our time of worship, and I hope this morning that as we consider uh, the season, knowing that we're moving into a new year, that even with the perceived newness of, of the coming 2024, that we're encouraged even in our struggle and our infirmity by the Word of God. That's really my assignment this morning is to turn our attention to Scripture. And we see clearly, even with newness seemingly on the horizon, that if you are carrying maybe some weight from 2023 into the next year, that it is our God who carries that with us. And we're grateful for that. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to John chapter number 9. John chapter number 9. I want to begin reading in verse number 1. This is the word of God. John chapter 9 and verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man, or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that, is, that sent me while it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He, say, he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. The Gospel of John was written to show that Jesus is the Son of God. To this point, you know that he has turned water into wine. He has healed the official son. He has healed the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. He has fed over 5,000 people with just a small lunch. It's this Jesus who came walking on the water, causing the disciples' little ship to cross the sea in gale force winds. And now Jesus will heal a man who was blind from birth. 
omnipotence and impossibility don't mix. One of the beauties of this passage is how you can see it almost like a gemologist will look at a diamond. There are multifaceted ways of seeing this text. We could see this text as the sixth of seven sign miracles. We could consider the seven I am statements. We could look at it as a standalone story, could we not? Because it is interestingly ordered. First you have the miracle and then you have Jesus disappearing only to come back at the end. And in the middle of it all there's four conversations, four distinct conversations. And we could consider each of these discussions. Verse 8 through 12, you see a discussion between the neighbors and the man born blind. Then you have a discussion between the Pharisees and the man born blind in verse 13 through 17. Verse 18 through 23, you have a conversation between the Jews and his parents. They, they drag his poor mother into this. But when his parents state that he can speak for himself... We could look at the conversation between the man and the Jewish crowd in verse 24 through the rest of the chapter. We could consider this morning several themes when we read this text. We could consider the theme of faith or the theme of unbelief or the theme, uh, the theme of a changed life. But for our time together this morning, I, I want to draw our attention more narrowly focused. In fact, I think the entire point of this passage is found in one verse, maybe even one word within that verse. Notice verse number three. But that the works of God should be made manifest in Him. Here's the context. John chapter 8 verse 56 through 59 show that Jesus was deliberately taking the, the name of God as was used during that burning bush discourse in Exodus 3.14. It was Jesus here who is telling the Pharisees that He is God. He's the first and the last and besides Him there is no other. To, 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 to borrow the language of the prophet Isaiah, He is the Alpha and the Omega. And as He makes this explicit claim to deity, these men who were considered the religious elite were so spiritually blind they picked up stones to stone Jesus because they saw him as a blasphemer and that was a offense, a capital offense that's punishment was public stoning. But verse 59 of the previous chapter in chapter 8 states, Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Interestingly, I think it's, it's worth noting that John ties these two scenes together. We, we don't know how much time passed between the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9, but it seems that John is tying these two scenes together to show that Jesus' life was in danger because of the Pharisees hating Him, but 
Although the Pharisees despised him and abused him, Jesus misses no opportunity to go and do good in their midst, in the very heart of enemy territory. At the very height of danger, personally, we see Jesus displaying a calm and a grace that demonstrates to you and I and to them on that day His deity and His power and His absolute sovereignty over all of the affairs of men. So, sometime after the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus sees this man who is a beggar. A man born blind. And in the ancient world, there was little a man in this condition could do to survive. It would seem as though, as a third party, from an outsider looking into this circumstance, his condition could only be described as impossible. But, Impossibility and omnipotence, they don't mix. So notice with me, firstly, if I could be like Alexander McLaren and hit this text and it fall apart in three pieces. As you know, every good preacher has three points, right? I'm hoping I just have a point this morning. We see a question posed. Here's the question. These disciples ask a question. And this is a question that I think is commonly asked even in our day. Why do bad things happen to some people? And good things happen to other people. Now you may not realize this, but you may have asked this question. Why? Because we have inherited this thought that, that bad things only happen to bad people and good things only happen to good people. It's, it's become almost a default religious position for so many. Many look around in this life and, and think that we... That good people get good things and bad people get bad things. And we see this on every plane, do we not? We think that if you work hard and do good and achieve much, that you'll have the best in life. But even spiritual people, even spiritual people will suggest that this is how life operates on occasion. And I say that looking at Job's friends. Do you remember Job's so-called friends? They wanted him to just repent of his sins, confess his wickedness before God because the upright, they said, is not cut off before God. Job, surely you are going through this because you've done something wrong. Listen to these disciples. Verse number 2, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? I mean, this man is blind. This must be a punishment, they thought, because of something either he did or his parents did. Hear me, that is often in the toolbox of the devil himself to say, do you see what you're facing? This must be your fault. The disciples ask, who sinned to cause this man to be born blind? That's the question, and it's a common one. But notice the uncommon answer that is given. The uncommon answer that is provided 
by Jesus Christ. Notice verse number 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. To be sure, there are multiple scriptures that link personal sin and personal suffering, aren't they? I mean, this, this, this link is, is present. You have Adam and Eve. <laughs> you have Miriam's revolt. You have Korah's rebellion. You have Nahab and Abihu's strange fire. You, you can turn to the New Testament and read in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 that there are some sick and some who have died because they took the elements of the Lord's Supper unworthily. There's plenty of examples of reaping what you sow. But, but Jesus here reminds us of something that we must never forget. We must never forget that the link between personal sin and personal suffering is not always absolute. Who better to exemplify this truth than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself? Jesus says that this man... It's not that he sinned or his parents. And, and again, this is not sinless perfection on display. But so many of us this morning, maybe it's because of our temperament. Maybe it's because of our upbringing. Maybe it's because of our, our makeup. We, we think that what we're facing is directly connected to the fact that we failed God. What's going on in my life is because of a, a, a disappointment God has with me. What's happening at my job or with my health or in my family must be because of something I've done wrong. There are people this morning who carry guilt around day after day after day and it is entirely unnecessary. For there is there. There's now, therefore, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I recognize this morning we're depraved. We are wicked, putrid, filthy, rotten sinners. Now that won't gain much popularity, but that's reality, isn't it? God has blessed me to, to walk through doors like this one today where I'm around the people of God in various places preaching the Word of God and I've looked across so many congregations just like this one and I've yet to find a good person. Because none are good. Not one of you. Not me. We are putrid, filthy, rotten sinners, and yet the unnecessary roughness comes when, when we look at life in an overly mechanical, moralistic way. So what do you mean? Well, I'm glad you ask. You may say on Monday, I'm obedient, so I should get blessing on Thursday. I sinned on Friday, so, so, so I'm, going to go, I'm only going to get cursing on Saturday. That's, that's how people live. We can live like everything that's happening to us, negatively and positively, is because of what we've done. Do you hear the arrogance in a thought process like that? Everything isn't based upon what you and I have done. But it is, however, based on what He 
has done. Jesus is saying that, isn't he? He's saying the way you think it works, it doesn't always work that way. Now, there are some things that Jesus could have said, and, and these things would be true. If someone were to ask the question, why was this man born blind? He, he could have said, and, and been right in this, we, we live in a fallen world. It's true, isn't it? This is the darkest world you and I will ever live in. There may not always be a personal connection. But there's always a cosmic connection. But, but I ask this morning, as we consider this, how would we answer this question? Here's how some answer this question. Some around us would say, when posed with this question, that there's no reason for it at all. Nothing but chance. I've heard so many make this statement, they'll say, well, you know, you know, pastor, things happen. Most of the time, however, when a question like this is raised, we, we go exclusively into a physical direction. We speak scientifically. We speak biologically. And if we're not careful, we will believe that there is a physiological material answer for everything. But, even when there is a biological answer, you can still miss the most important answer of all. How does Jesus answer this question? Here comes the anchor point. Not just for the sermon, but for our lives. Notice verse number 3. He uses the little word, henna. That. In order that. <laughs> A little purpose clause. It's not that the man sinned. It's not that the parent sinned. If you think it's that, you're going in the wrong direction. It's in order that. The works of God should be made manifest in Him. Yes, there may be a biological explanation. Yes, suffering is connected to the cosmic matters of the fall. But Jesus wants the disciples to understand this man was born blind because God has a purpose. He has a plan in it. This is not God simply responding to an unfortunate circumstance. No, Jesus isn't merely making lemonade out of lemons. He has a plan. In 1995, a nonprofit organization called the Random Acts of Kindness Foundation was created. By 2004, this, this foundation's popularity grew to, to such a level that on February the 17th of 2004, we as a nation began to celebrate the Random Acts of Kindness. Maybe you celebrate that holiday, I'm not sure. Where someone behind you, in line, you, you show a random act of kindness. You, you purchase their cup of coffee. Maybe you see someone walking into a building and you hold the door for them. You know, a random act of kindness. This is no random act of kindness. What Jesus is expressing to these disciples, knowing that this man who was born blind will be healed, was completely and totally planned from the beginning of time. God has a purpose. Can I illustrate this point? Go back to Genesis. 
Do you remember when Jacob died and all of Joseph's brothers were worried about him? <laughs> they just knew because of their harsh treatment of him that he would let them starve. That's not good English, but that's reality, isn't it? What do we read in Genesis 50? In verse 20 and 21, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. Meant it. That doesn't mean he shaped it or, or turned it or used it. No, he meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. God used the pit. He used Potiphar's house. He used the prison. And he used the palace. I hope you like how I alliterated that. I feel much better about using those P's. God meant it for good. Look at verse 3 again in our text. But that the works of God should be made manifest in Him. We must consider this. There's no evidence that they had, that, that this man or his parents had previously met Jesus. Now they may have, have never considered God's part to play in all of this, but, but even though they had not previously considered it, that doesn't negate the fact that God had a plan. In verse number 11, the blind man doesn't even know much about Jesus. He doesn't know where he went. Verse 25 tells us, And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I know is this, Whereas I was blind, but now I see. He didn't know a lot about him. But he knew this wasn't an accident. This man wasn't blind ultimately because something didn't form right. But God all along had a plan and a purpose. This, a sign, a miracle. To point people to the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. In our text, Jesus goes on to speak about the light and the darkness. He's the light and how the darkness will come upon them. And then he goes on to say that he is literally the light for this man and the light for all who receive him. But night's coming. Jesus used this man as an illustration. For this man, before he was touched by Christ, lived in perpetual darkness. And Jesus is saying, just as I am the light for this man, I am the light for all who receive him. I'm not sure if there's anyone here, because I am a perfect stranger to many of you, who's interested in where you came from. But if you are, and you've ventured into your ancestry, there is a, a company, there's multiple companies, but one in particular called 23andMe that I have personal experience with. You pay them a, a handsome amount of money, and they send you some information and a collection basin for your saliva. They want you to swab your mouth. They want to take your saliva, your spit, which is what I say where I'm from. And they want to analyze it. Because you know this, they will discover a lot about you. Your very DNA from your saliva. And I bring that up not because I receive royalties from the company 23andMe. 
But notice what Jesus does here. Knowing that everything needed to identify a person is found in their saliva, in the spit of a person, you see Jesus taking his, his life, his DNA, and he mixes it with the, the, the dust of the earth. This is very familiar when you read Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, isn't it? He takes the, the dust of the ground and he takes his life and he makes a mud pie. And he rubs it on this man's face. He puts his life in the point of this man's greatest darkness. You see, God created man. And Jesus is, 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 is foreshadowing here his, his mission to recreate man. This man goes to the place where he's sent to go. He has mud in his eyes. He's been blind his entire life. A strange rabbi spits on the ground. He, he, he makes a mud pie and smears it in his eyes. Tells him to go to the pool of Siloam. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but this takes great faith. <laughs> oh, by the way, he was led there. You see, he came back seeing. faith is placed in Christ. That the works of God might be made manifest in Him. I want to close with this. We see the, the question posed, the, the answer provided. What's the purpose in all of this? It's wonderful for the man who was born blind. You can see God's power is on display in him. Jesus does the miraculous. He heals this man. He was born blind and it was God's plan for the blind man to be healed so that it would bring glory to Jesus. But, but pastor, maybe you've never thought like this. But if I could be completely transparent, I have. That's great for them. But what about me? Pastor, you shouldn't be so honest. <laughs> you shouldn't be so transparent. We're human, aren't we? You may think today, although you would never say it, playing the comparison game, I've been shortchanged. You look at this blind man, and you see, yes, what takes place in his life is, is pointing to the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. But what I'm facing is, is more than I can handle and there are times when I'm, I'm left wringing my hands and this is what we say around the house, biting our fingernails into the quick. If you know Christ as Savior and Lord, if you've gone from darkness to light, Knowing you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, you were made alive together with Christ. That's a miracle. Can I take this a step further? I see three smiling faces, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> Staying faithful in suffering, ma'am, sir, is a miracle. Enduring to the end. That doesn't come from you. It's a miracle. God is at work in you, sir. Ma'am, He is at work in you with the same power that was present on this day 
knowing that this blind man who once couldn't see has received his sight. You're a walking miracle and so am I. Verse number three. I want to see it one more time. I can't get over it. (laughs) Notice in verse number three. He doesn't use the word this, but that. Now, the words this and that are demonstrative pronouns. I'm sure you wanted an English language from a man who speaks broken English. But but these words, these demonstrative pronouns are, are used to indicate something. The word this is to point to something that is near you. The word that is is used to point to something further from you. The emphasis is not on this, but it's on that. So often our emphasis is on this. What's near to us, what's happening right now. When in reality our emphasis should be on that. He has a greater plan. He has a greater work. He's a greater Savior than you and I could ever imagine or dream. He's infinitely greater than our finite minds can comprehend. It's not this, but it's that God has a purpose for you and for me. And maybe this morning, just maybe, it's to make His strength perfect in our weakness. It may be to show the world through you not what you're capable of, but what we're what he's capable of. I feel I should share Habakkuk three, verse seventeen and eighteen. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. Yet Habakkuk said. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. How could he do such a thing when it seems like the world is caving in around him? I don't know what you're facing this morning. It was announced that we've, we, we founded, by God's grace, a, a small nonprofit that seeks to encourage pastors. and it, it doesn't cease to amaze me to hear the stories that pastors go through and yet Sunday after Sunday they, 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 they go to their, their, their place of service. They stand and they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and then they go back home and they fall apart. How can he continue? How will you continue? Listen to what F.B. Meyer said. Oh, afflicted one. Your disabilities were meant to unite with God's enabling. Your weakness to mate His power. God's grace is at hand. He said sufficient. And at its best, when human weakness is most profound, appropriate it. And learn that those who wait on God are stronger in their weakness than the sons of men in their stoutest health and vigor. The great hymn writer and evangelist put it this way. John Stalling wrote many years ago. He said, I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. He said, finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean. Learning to lean. He said, it. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Isn't that the work of grace and the life of the believer? 
I understand this morning. We need breaks. We need vacations. I'm thankful for various trips that God will allow throughout the year for, for you and for me. No doubt, when you come back from vacation, you share captivating stories of all that has happened. I love to hear those stories. But I'm convinced that when we get to the end of this life, we look back on our life. The times that we grew most was not on break and vacation. But in those times of great difficulty and trial and hardship. For God showed you what you would not have known about His character, His love, His mercy. Lessons only given in dark days. I heard a minister make this statement and I, I, I wrote it down in my Bible. I don't want to ever forget this. I want to share it with you today. He said, don't waste your valley. Sir, ma'am, young person, don't waste your valley. Because those difficult days, those times of trial, you may feel like all hope is gone. Good news. He hasn't left the throne. His eyes not dim. His ears not deaf. But he is indeed a very present help in time of trouble. Think about Job. He didn't take God out of the equation, did he? You know, that's the worst thing you and I could do. Know what he said in Job 13, 15? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. A man robbed, experiencing the whirlwind, the devil on his case, and yet Job always knew that he could not take God out of the equation. We read it this morning together as a congregation. All things. Not some things, not most things. But all things do work together for the good to them that love Him. To them who are the called according to His purpose. What you're facing today is not random. It's not meaningless. Your trial is not without God's purpose or plan. But He even uses suffering and heartache and trial for our good. Do you hear the landing gear coming down? I'm almost finished. I wonder how often You and I are more interested in this than in that. That the works of God should be made manifest. You may not see it. You may not hear it. You may not be experiencing it, but the, at the bottom of all that you're going through, I can assure you there is that. So how can you be so sure, speaking with such boldness? Because impossibility... And omnipotence don't mix. Would you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, we stand in awe 
knowing you are majestic, all wise, and yet full of grace and truth. We may know these truths intellectually, but there are times when experientially our, our understanding of you is challenged. May we, as your people, may we not waste the valleys that you have for us. But may we be used like this man who was blind from birth. May we be used as a, as a sign pointing to the sufficiency and the supremacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we rest in your care. May we be renewed by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.